In one of Germany's eeriest and most famous unsolved cases, six people were brutally massacred on their farm in 1922. The killer spent several days living in the home before the horrifying crime was finally discovered. To this day, no one has ever been found guilty of the massacre. Welcome to Macabre Storytime, where I tell my friends some of the weirdest, most brutal, spine-tingliest cases they've never heard of. All right, welcome to today's episode. I am Sarah. This over here is Rhonda. Over here. Yes. Like they can see me. <laughs> yes. Say hello. Hello. How are you? I'm a little burpy. Well. But I just ate panda. Yummy. Yeah. Beijing beef for the win. Yumminess. I had orange chicken. And an egg roll. I did not have an egg roll. Well, that's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anything of interest you want to, um, mention or... or... Was it prepared for that? Yeah, I mean, maybe prepare for that next time. Okay, Okay. you think? Sorry. (laughs) I work, I'm a mom, and... I said of interest. That's it. (laughs) I don't do anything fun. (laughs) Well, now you do, because you do this. Are you ready? Ready. Cool. All right. Um, I don't remember what we're doing. Well, you chose this first one. Because we're going to record a couple today. But I don't remember what it was. It's about axes. It's be a surprise. <laughs> axes. Well, it's going to be a surprise regardless because you don't know the story. Well, Even if I told you the name, you, you were going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember picking that. You remember You axes. would not know the story. I remember axes, axes in Germany. That's all you remember. That's <laughs> all you know, actually. And that's kind of the point. You don't know. But now you're going to know. Have you ever been axe throwing? No. I have been once for a birthday party, and it was pretty fun. I threw up my shoulder, but it was awesome. I feel like I feel like that could be dangerous. I felt the same way because you know, my, me and my grace were not that great. So you are not graceful. So I pictured it hitting the thing and flying back at me. <laughs> That's very cartoonish, and that would one hundred percent happen to you. Exactly. <laughs> so I was very leery, but got invited to you know the girl I work with the, with the rescue. She invited me to her birthday, and she she goes every week. Hmm. And, you know, she loves it. And I'm like, well, let's try it, you know. Free a session of exploring. Let's go. So we went and um, I didn't get hit with the axe. I actually did make it in the board a few times. Nice. All righty. Yeah. So there's my interesting fact. You ready? (laughs) Yes. All right. We are going to talk today about Hinterkaifeck. It's the name of a place in Germany. That's why you chose it, because Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, this is one of Germany's eeriest and most famous unsolved cases. Still unsolved? Still unsolved. There is um, an idea that that came out about who did it, um, but they wouldn't say. And I'll mention that at the end. We'll we'll get to that. But it is uh, technically unsolved. Five members of the Gruber family and their maid were brutally murdered on March 31st, 1922. So, yeah, 101 years ago. We're going, we're going way back. It's an old timey German case. And you just made a sound with your hand. (laughs) 
I wore, I didn't wear a hoodie, so I went and like, clicking my phone in my pocket. So. Yes, that's a good. Thank you. I now I can hit the table. Yeah, maybe don't do that. Don't crinkle your Mountain Dew can. No, stop that. <laughs> All right. So Take everything away from me. Put me in a padded room and give me a mic. I'll just put you in a straight jacket. I feel like that's less cumbersome for me than to take everything away. <laughs> just, I'll just deal with you in the environment. Right. <laughs> let's let's uh, focus on the problem. <laughs> you just called me a problem. Rude. Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> all right. So the victims are, or were, I guess, Andreas Gruber, 63, his wife, and I don't know exactly how this is pronounced, so I'm just going to wing it. Kazelia, who was 72, uh, their daughter, Victoria Gabriel, who was 35, and Victoria's two children, her daughter, who was also named Kazelia, who was seven, and her son, Yosef, who was two. And then, of course, their maid, Maria Baumgardner, who was 44 at the time. Now, what is potentially one of the worst little tidbits, other than the fact that a two-year-old and a seven-year-old were brutally murdered, is that Maria, the maid, she had literally just arrived to the farm to start working for the family that day. Oh, well, that's a great first day of work. (laughs) Yes. First and last. (laughs) Um, So that's horrific, but the whole thing is horrific, honestly. Now, the family was murdered on their farm, which was about 40 miles northwest of Munich in southern Germany. Uh, The farm was tucked behind a village named Kaifek, and hinter in German means behind, hence the name Hinterkaifek. It's like the name of their farm. Gotcha. Um, So who who were these people? Uh, Farmers. Yes, obviously, um, because they had a farm. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. <laughs> she nailed it. Um, <laughs> so the matriarch, Kazilia, she arrived at Hinterkaifeck when she married her first husband, Yosef Assam. Wait, her both husbands were named Yosef? No. The son, no. The son, the her grandson's son. name is Yosef. Okay, never mind. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, it's also like a common name. I was just like, wait, both are husbands? No. <laughs> no, no, no. I knew we had the Yosef, but I, that's the bait. No, Andreas is the second husband. So her first husband, Yosef, uh, and her had two children that survived infancy. Martin and also Kazelia. They are a big fan of that name. Um, <laughs> so she she was not from Hinterkaifeck, but she arrived there uh, to marry this man. Now, he died in 1885. And less than a year later, Kazelia, the mom Kazelia, she married one of her farmhands, Andreas Gruber. Uh, Andreas was nine years younger than her. So get it. Mm-hmm. Get it, Kazelia. <laughs> so, Little cougar. Right. <laughs> now, the Grubers supposedly had multiple children, but only one, Victoria, survived to adulthood. Sad. It is sad. But in this case... It's probably good. <laughs> I mean, well, what, it, considering what I'm about to tell you, it's almost maybe for the best. And I hate to say that about dead babies, but this is pretty horrific. Um, Andreas was a piece of shit. Uh, to say it lightly, right? Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go right to it. He was a piece of shit. The whole village knew it, and this is why. 
1903, their daughter, Victoria, who was 16, allegedly, she told the wife of a neighbor that uh, she was being sexually abused by her father. Mm, Gotta love it. Yeah. Uh, Now, in March of 1914, Victoria, who's now, what, 27? uh, She married a man named Carl Gabriel, who soon entered the army and was sent off to words, beginning of World War I. Uh, So they got married, and it was within like a month or two he went off to war. And he died in December of that year, 1914, in France. But his body was never recovered, unfortunately. Now, they were only together for a short time after getting married, but Victoria was pregnant. And their daughter, also named Cazelia, was born the month after Carl died. So she was born, he died September, I'm sorry, he died December 1914, and their daughter was born January 1915. Also in 1915, both Andreas and Victoria were convicted of, quote, crime against morality, a.k.a. incest. Why was she to be charged? Because it's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was being sexually abused by my father, but you're going to sentence me. It's your fault. Yeah. Well, you know. Right. Uh, Now, it was determined that the incest was proven for the period of 1907 to 1910. That's why they were convicted, because they considered it proven for this time period. I don't know what made it proven to them. I couldn't find anything about how it was considered proven that this happened. Mm -hmm. But they said it was proven for those three years. Andreas was sentenced to a year in prison, and Victoria was sentenced to a month in prison. For being sexually assaulted. For being uh, sexually assaulted, molested, and abused by her father. Sounds about right. And she, yeah, she is in prison for a month. Even, I don't care that it's a month. It's a, a, an hour is too much. Like Right, when you did nothing wrong. <laughs> right. Mind boggling. Bobbling. It's mind boggling. <laughs> mind boggling. Um, but also not mind boggling that it's not all that mind boggling to think that that would have happened that way. Basically, it's how things happened. Right. It's more mind boggling that that's not mind boggling enough. Exactly. Does that make like, sense? <laughs> it's like she married her farmhand after her husband died in less than a year because women weren't allowed to own property. Women weren't allowed to be single. They were allowed to be the wife and mom. Right. Yeah. You were to be auctioned off. Basically. Yeah. It's like, okay, you farmhand, you already work here, so let's just get married and, and you know. He's you, a man. You inherit all this stuff from my ex, my dead right. husband. He's a man, so we can keep this moving. Exactly. Yeah, basically. And I don't have to leave, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Um, <laughs> so we can stay here. Right. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Um, I'm, a, I'm guessing it wasn't a love match, but who knows? People are weird. Um, now in 1918, the woman that Victoria had allegedly confided in about this, mm-hmm. who interestingly was also named Victoria, um, her, she died, the other Victoria, the neighbor, the neighbor's wife, correct. And shortly thereafter, um, living Victoria, the widow, Victoria Gabriel started a relationship with 
dead Victoria's husband. So neighbor, neighbor guy. Hi, neighbor. How you doing? Right. His name. <laughs> How you doing? Can you get me out of this fucking place? <laughs> Even if it's just next door. Let's go. Yeah. Let, I, you're, I'm away from this guy. That's all that matters. <laughs> you got to be better. Um, his name is uh, Lorenz Schlittenbauer. Super fun to say. Try it. Schlittenbauer. That gave you some kind of thrill, didn't it? <laughs> Felt good. <laughs> That's, so that's German. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, so Victoria, spelled with a K, also German, and Lorenz, uh, they had a thing going after his first wife died. They planned to get married, but Papa Dearest Andreas interfered. Of course he did, because, you know, at that time they had to ask for permission. True. And that's his little plaything person. Right. Even though at this point she's a widow, she's... I mean, she's not a child anymore, but I guess apparently that didn't stop him. Um, Now, allegedly, Andreas told Victoria that as long as he lived, there was no reason for her to marry. Which, in my notes, I then wrote in parentheses, ew. (laughs) (laughs) Ew. Ew. No joke, they're right there. It's it's in parentheses. Ew. Um, (laughs) Now, Victoria uh, later had a son, we know, Mm -hmm. uh, Joseph. Now, she publicly claimed that Lorenz Schlittenbauer – I just like saying Schlittenbauer. That. I'm never going to just call him Lorenz. It's going to be Lorenz Schlittenbauer. He was Yosef's father. This is what she claimed publicly. And initially, he did not accept that. He reported his suspicion that Andreas, Victoria's father, was Yosef's father. Gross. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> two authorities – who put Andreas back in prison? Because well, good. <laughs> that's a that's not that's not a thing we do, sir. <laughs> Adios, amigo. Right. Uh, however, and this, um, I was thinking about this yesterday, actually, or actually, maybe it was this morning. And I'm not sure how much I believe this. The Grubers allegedly paid Lorenz Schlittenbauer off. To retract his statements because Andreas was very soon released from prison. And the idea is that they think that might be why. But I don't know if I believe that because right after this, Lorenz Schlittenbauer, I'm never going to not say his last name, Rhonda. (laughs) um, He publicly recognized Yosef as his son. But I feel like that might have included financial responsibilities, which... Why pay him off if he's just going to give the money back to you? Because you know what I mean, like. Right. So I, I'm not sure how much I believe the payoff as much as maybe uh, threats. Maybe. I blackmail. I think I believe threats more than I believe money changed hands. Because if he's going to publicly recognize this child, he's probably going to pay for something. Yeah. Usually. Right. So I don't know, but he was released from prison. And as far as the public was aware, Yosef was a Schlittenbauer. Schlittenbauer. Now, I realize that I always say, now, blah, 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 when I, <laughs> I don't care. You know what? Sorry, not sorry. Um, okay, so <laughs> let's talk about some of the strange happenings that took place on the farm leading up to the murder. And then we're going to kind of go through a timeline of, a, you know, multiple days. Okay. Let's go. So. About six months before the murder, the family maid quit, claiming that she thought the house was haunted. 
Cool. Okay. <laughs> now, she reported hearing strange sounds in the attic and feeling like she was being watched. She probably was by a psycho. What's his name? Andreas. And- Andreas? Yeah, Andreas. Maybe. Uh, well, he's but, a freaking psycho, so. Yeah, yeah. However, the week before the murder, so that was six months before. The week before the murder, Andreas Gruber found a strange newspaper from Munich on the property. Uh, He said that he did not remember buying it, and he thought maybe the mailman dropped it. But this was determined to not be the case since no one in the vicinity subscribed to that paper. Okay. Okay, so that's weird. A little little intriguing. A little sus, but I doubt a ghost is coming up from Munich carrying a newspaper <laughs> excuse me casper could you get the right movie? just just a newspaper the like muni- well in the movie floating. casper you know you know which mo- which uh which newspaper would you like new york times okay let's go get it and casper went and got it so you know you know i could have went and got the munich newspaper and brought it back can't say it's been a, a a minute or 12 since i've seen casper so i don't remember but i believe you i watched it with piper well there you go okay <laughs> then i believe you. <laughs> um <laughs> but uh so that weird right okay Mm -hmm. days before the murder that was a week this is a few days andreas told his neighbors lorenz schlittenbauer and see interestingly enough casper Uh the other neighbor he talked to he didn't even know you didn't even know i didn't you just said it i just said it you know think of the ghost in the newspaper i got you can't even see my notes because my computer's turned to the side <laughs> so Andreas talked to Lorenz Schlittenbauer and Casper Stegmeier, I guess. Stegmeier, sure. Uh he's dead, so he can't hear me. Um, <laughs> um that he <laughs> he discovered right. Uh that he discovered tracks, Andreas, he discovered tracks in the fresh snow leading from the forest that like surrounded his property mm-hmm. to a broken door lock on the farm's machine room. Okay. Now, the footsteps only moved in one direction, meaning they came from the forest to the house, but not back okay. or in any other direction. There was just from the forest to the house. So it just stopped. Or not to, I'm sorry, not to the house, to the machine room. So it right. just stopped there. Uh, and nobody knew who they could have belonged to. He's like, I didn't go around, come through the forest, and then walk one way up to my machine room and then... Never leave. Immediately <laughs> forgot about it, you know. <laughs> Why was I here? Right. I'd, where did these Where did these footprints come from? Uh, yeah, no, he didn't know who they could have belonged to. And again, I I would have gotten the chilly willies at that point. It's Casper. Goosebumps galore. Oh, not but not this Casper. Casper. Not that Casper, the other Casper. Right. Not Casper with a K. No, the C. Right. Okay. <laughs> he's a friendly ghost. Leave him alone. Yeah, he's friendly. Now, later that same night, the family apparently heard footsteps in the attic uh, to which Andreas investigated and uh, didn't find anything. Of course not. And we know this because, getting to our timeline, mm-hmm. on March 31st, which is the day they are believed to have been murdered, um, in, the, in the morning that day, Andreas and Victoria went to town to do some shopping. Okay. Now, Andreas supposedly reported these inexplicable noises in the attic and, like, the footsteps and all that. Uh, to a shopkeeper in town. And Victoria was also uh, said to have reported the incidents, like the same ones, to a different shopkeeper in a different shop. Gotcha. So now the family members have told a couple of different people in town that these weird things are going on. Mm -hmm. So that's in the morning. 
at around 3 p.m. on March 31st, Maria Baumgartner, the new maid, arrives to the farm. Her sister escorted her to the farm. So basically, like, Maria went to her sister's, which was on the way to the farm. Mm-hmm. Sister accompanied her to help her out. Um, it was said that Maria, I can't remember what the wording was. I think it was something along the lines of, like, she was slow kind of thing. Um, she wasn't, like, super intelligent or, and like, I think they said, like, one leg was, like, shorter than the other than the other, so she had, like, a kind of weird walk. You know, she was just a little so different. disabled. Yeah, maybe. maybe a little bit. Um, so her sister escorted her to the farm, got her, you know, set up there and left a short time later. And she was likely the last person to see the family alive. Other than the murderer, of course. <laughs> um, now, that night, it is speculated. What I'm going to tell you about um, everything from here for the rest of the night, this is all speculation based on what was found. Okay. Okay. So it's speculated that Victoria was the first one who was lured to the barn to be murdered. So I and, – and I'll talk about why they think this – this was the order of events based on what was found later. So we'll get to that. But it was speculated that she was lured first. Okay. And then it was believed that she was followed one by one by her mother, then her father, then her daughter to the barn to be murdered one by one. It's believed. Well, I won't say it is believed. It was believed that potentially the family could have been drawn to the farm by animal noises But while investigating, they realized that that's probably not the case because there was – and I can show you pictures so you can, like, get a visual of it. It helps to be able to see. Mm -hmm. But – so there's, like, you know, the house here, the barn's over here. I know you – Typical – People listening can't see where my hands are, but (laughs) – Typical farm, you know, the barn's separated from the house. House is over here and the barn's over here. That happens every time. (laughs) So – So while they were investigating after the family was found, they basically, like, some people stayed in the barn and some went to the house. And the people in the barn barn were, like, screaming and they couldn't be heard in the house. Far enough away. Right. So the whole lured by animal noises is kind of debunked right there. And also, like, why would you one by one be like, oh, the cows are making sounds. I'm going to go check. Right. And And then they never come back. And then mom's like. Hmm. And then the seven-year-old goes. Right. And, and then the like, and then the child goes. Like, I don't believe that anyway. Yeah. Um, the child wouldn't go by themselves. Right. <laughs> yeah, because it was just her, her brother, who's two, and the brand new maid at this right. point left in the house mm-hmm. by then. So, like, I would, like, Piper would be like, I'm going to the adult who is the brand new maid. Right. The maid's like, AK, what's going on? Right. Like, the seven-year-old's not going to be like, hmm, those cows are still making noises out there. I'm going to go check on it. Even though my mom and my grandma and my grandfather have all gone out there and not come back. I don't see it. I don't see it. Maybe she was a tiny badass, though. I don't know. (laughs) Could have been, you know. Um, (laughs) So, uh, the murder weapon, it was believed to be a mattock, which is like a pickaxe. Yeah. Sorry. That was like a visceral reaction to saying those words. <laughs> okay, Thinking about, yeah. Um, Thinking of the action of killing someone with a pickaxe. With a pickaxe. Or not not killing someone with a pickaxe. Being killed by a pickaxe. Yeah, that's a... That's the one that made me go, ugh. It's not really a good thought. 
Yeah. Please no. Please just cut my head off. <laughs> and not like um, Theon Greyjoy. Don't, no. Don't let him do it. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> just one and, just one and done, okay? Just do it. <laughs> we're talking about like uh, the hound. Just whoosh. Yeah. It's like, okay, we're done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh-huh. Anywho. Right? Th- that part of that still gets to me. Because mm-hmm. he just kicked his head off afterwards and he's just like, uh, uh. never mind. Tangent. <laughs> we feel lots of feelings about Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, anywho's. Um, so it was the murder weapon, believed to be a Matic, uh, but it was not found at the scene at the time. It was discovered later after the house was demolished the following year. It was left to a family member who they had the house demolished the following year, and they found what they believed to be the murder weapon, like in the attic or something. Now, uh, after... The three adults and seven-year-old were killed in the mm-hmm. barn, which, again, we're going to get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the killer then moved back to the house where they killed Maria in her bedroom and Yosef in his bassinet in Victoria's room. Poor baby. Yes. Now we come to April the 1st. It's around 3 a.m. Fellow farmer and butcher Simon Reislander was heading home. Past Hinterkaifeck. And he saw two figures at the edge of the forest outside the farm. Okay. Now the figures, he says, the figures saw him and then turned their faces so they could not be seen by him. You know, you're being shady. That's a good thing to do. Weird. Just three in the morning. I'm going to hang out by this forest. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, later in that morning, craftsman Michael Plokel passed by Hinterkaifeck. And he observed everywhere I read about this. He said they said that he observed the oven was closed. The oven, right? Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if that means like like a chimney that was coming from the oven was closed, maybe like inside the kitchen, and like on the outside, like the chimney it was closed. Okay, that like you know, yeah, have the exhaust coming coming from the you oven. Got it. Yeah. Um, not that there was like. An oven outside. Right. That's when I'm like, he was outside. Right. Walking by. So. How you know about the oven? I'm not entirely sure. But that comes back around. That's the only reason I mention it. Because I'm. My guess was that like. Whatever chimney or. Something that released all the smoke and whatnot from the oven. Mm-hmm. Is what they're talking about. That but sense. that's just my guess. For that time frame. Right. Um, but he said that he observed that it was closed. That okay. morning on the 1st. People are very observant in the 1900s. Yeah, uh, apparently. <laughs> um, now, around noon, coffee sellers Hans and Edward Shirovsky, there we go, arrived at the farm to take an order. Yes, I would love some coffee. Thank you. <laughs> um, yes, please. <laughs> I did have a nitro this morning. Okay. Uh, now, no one responded when they knocked on the doors and the windows. And they walked around the yard, but they didn't find anybody. These coffee sellers are very um, determined. Yeah. Like, I want Hello. to sell you coffee. Uh, knock on your windows, too. Knock You're a door. farmer. You need to wake up. <laughs> animals or whatever your farming needs to be taken care of. Right. Uh, now, the only thing they noticed was that the gate to the machine house was open. Okay. Okay. So that's this is what they noticed around noon. Okay. So now that evening, Michael Plokel... Walk goes back by. He's the craftsman that saw that the oven was open. Or, I'm sorry, that the oven was closed. Mm-hmm. So that evening, 
He's passing back by the farm, I guess, going home. And he observed that the oven was now partially open. And this is why I think it's where smoke is being released from the mm-hmm. oven in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Smoke was coming from the fireplace is what it was what all the reports said. Okay. So to me, it sounds like. Like the flu. Right. Like the flu would have, like, I don't know what, like, I can't picture what the structure would look like where you can tell that it's closed or open from mm-hmm. just out. But right. apparently you could. <laughs> That's all we need to know. You could. Okay. <laughs> he knew it. Right. So it is now partially open and there's smoke coming out of the fireplace. So, I mean, I'm sure he didn't really think anything of it, which is why I'm surprised he remembers it so detailed. Right. I guess later, when you think about it later on, maybe. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. But he did report a disgusting smell coming from the fireplace. So I guess that does make its mark. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, that smell? Ooh. Right. He's, he said something like old rags being burned. Something like that. Okay. Now, he observed someone on the farm. Remember, this is at night. So he observed someone on the farm who approached him with a flashlight. So remember, this is in the evening now. Mm-hmm. And he shined it in his face, kind of blinding him so he couldn't see who it was. So he just kind of quickly moved along. Like, I'm not going to. This is weird. It smells here. <laughs> Dude shining a light in my face. I have no idea who this is. Y'all stink and you're creepy. I'm leaving. <laughs> right. So he just, he left. Now, over the next few days, young Kazelia was absent from school without excuse. And she the, had an excuse. <laughs> uh, she did. They did not know it yet. <laughs> she had a very good excuse. Um. The family also did not show up to church on Sunday, where Victoria was a dedicated member of the choir. Okay. Very unusual. Very unusual for them. So now we come to April the 4th. Okay. Okay, so now four days after they have been murdered, we think. Around 9 a.m. that day, Albert Hoffner went to the farm to repair an engine on a piece of equipment. Okay. He doesn't see anyone when he gets there. He doesn't hear anything other than, like, the farm animals. And the family's dog, uh, who's inside the barn. So he kind of walks around the house. All the doors are locked. He looks through the windows of, like, the kitchen and the barn. Doesn't see anybody. So he waits for a while. He waits for about an hour. He's just kind of, like, sitting around. At one point, he was, like, sitting on the ground under a tree. And he would, like, just whistle randomly to see if he could get someone's attention. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, you're just sitting there for an hour? Like... Because he, after this, he decides to go ahead and just start his repair. So just go start your repair. Right. If you can get to it, do <laughs> you it. You literally mm-hmm. sat there for an hour. <laughs> go do it. Go do your work. Right. So he did that for like an hour. And then he's like, well, I'm just going to start this repair, which took him about four and a half hours. See, he lost an hour. So exactly. <laughs> so now you've been at this farm now for about five and a half hours. When he's done, he locks the door of the engine house on his way out. And he notices that the barn door is now wide open. Where, remember, all the doors were locked before. So now it's open. So he gets kind of close to the barn, but I guess he didn't really hear anything, so he didn't go inside. He then walks back around to the front of the house towards, like, he rode his bike there and he left it out front. Okay. So he's going back towards the front, and now he sees that the family dog is tied up out front. So, you know, someone, someone's been there, right? Someone has, yes. So um, he's like, okay, whatevs, and he leaves. Now yeah, around... Within five and a half hours. Right. Now, around 3.30 that afternoon, <clears throat> Lorenz Schlittenbauer sent his <laughs> his 16-year-old son, Johan, and his 9-year-old stepson, Yosef, another Yosef, to see if they could find anyone on the farm. Because kind of like, this is weird. 
haven't been around. They weren't at church Sunday. You know, maybe someone should check on them. So he sends his son and stepson to check on them. How old are these kids? 16 and 9. Go check on these people. But, right. Like 16, maybe, you know, like but like nine-year-old. Come on now. <laughs> Go check on your people. Right. People, so <laughs> they came back, said they didn't see anybody. So then Lorenz, and this is what's kind of hinky to me. He then is like, well, we should go check again. So he goes uh, and he gets other neighbors named Michael Pohl and Jacob or Jacob Siegel. And he's like, we got to go back and check. Like, why are you so adamant to check? Like, the kids were just there and said that there was no one there. Right. Like, why are you like, no, we need to go check again and then get adults? Are you sure? Like, let's get, let's get witnesses. It was weird, right? Um, so Lorenz goes back with these two other people. They said that they broke into the barn. But it was wide open earlier. Earlier it was open, yes. So they break into the barn and they find the three adults and – the seven-year-old, dead in the barn and stacked, like, haphazardly on top of each other and covered in hay. Okay. Lorenz then goes into the house where he, like, immediately finds both Maria and Yosef, also dead. hmm Now, according to Siegel, one of the men he took back with him, Lorenz Schlittenbauer came <laughs> to him after he spoke to the repairman earlier in the afternoon. So the repairman did his thing. He goes back to town. I guess he sees Lorenz Schlittenbauer. And he's like, hey, this was super weird. I was there. I did this thing. No one was there. But then, like, the door was closed and then it was open and the dog was inside and the dog was outside. But I didn't see anybody, you know. So that's why he was like, hey, something's up here. And... He said that Lorenz Schlittenbauer said something to the effect of, quote, I think they've been murdered, hmm. which is a weird thing to just say. Right. Kind of random. Right. It's like when people just aren't around, you're like, oh, they. They're maybe, clearly dead. Maybe they <laughs> right. took a trip or something. Like. It, but, you know. Yeah. Just like. That's the first thing out of your mouth. I think they've been murdered. Okay. Immediately is what he said. <clears throat> So the following right. So the following day, court physician Johann Baptiste Almuller performed the autopsies in the barn. Okay. So he established that a mattock was the likely murder weapon, though again they did not find it at the scene at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for the wounds, we're going to talk about now. Just a little bit of a trigger warming, warming, mm-hmm. trigger warming. <laughs> Trigger warning. It's a little graphic. Okay. Um, so, yeah, if you're not into that, skip ahead. <laughs> um, I mean, you shouldn't be into it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> if you can't handle listening to it, there yeah, we go. Yeah, I really want to know about that. Right. <laughs> if it's not the bee's knees to you, skip ahead. <laughs> um, so the elder Cazelia showed signs of strangulation and seven blows to her head that left her with a cracked skull. Andreas's face was caked with blood, and his cheekbones were protruding from the shredded flesh on his face, like the actual bone. Someone had someone anger was issues. angry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now Victoria, her skull was also smashed, and her head showed nine what they referred to as star-shaped wounds. 
I don't know if that was from a different um, weapon than a pickaxe. Well, doesn't a pickaxe have two sides, like a longer side and a pointy side? It has like a pointy side and, and like a flatter side, yeah. So you think the pointy side might have maybe? made the star pattern, maybe? Maybe, because when it breaks, it like... Shatters out. Yeah, like the little like spider web kind of thing, yeah. maybe. That's my 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 thought. Yeah, maybe. Um, And the right side of her face had also been hit, hit with a blunt object. So maybe she was like caught off guard and someone just tried to knock her out and then mm-hmm. did did their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the younger Kazelia, her lower jaw had been shattered. Poor baby. Yeah. And her face and her neck were covered in gaping circular wounds. Um, this is a, this one here is a little uh, rough to hear, but evidence showed that she was actually alive for several hours after she was assaulted. Mm. They found that she had torn out clumps of her own hair. Like she was holding it in her hands mm-hmm. when she was found. Um, now Andreas and his granddaughter were found in their night clothes and Victoria and her mother were still in their day clothes. Okay, so they hadn't got ready for bed yet. Right. So Andreas and Kazelia, the younger the younger one, um, were, I guess, in bed or on their way to bed at the time. Mm-hmm. Maria, the maid, she was killed by, it was termed crosswise blows to the head. And I, I don't know, does that mean like hit on one side and then like backhanded hit the other side? Maybe. Maybe I don't or know. I'm not. Like, I'm. I'm not a murderer, so I don't know the terminology. <laughs> or if he, if he was the same weapon, maybe mm-hmm. cross. Like he hit one way and then hit another way. Oh, maybe made yeah. Like an X. Maybe I don't know. I just said crosswise blows to the head. Yosef. Uh, thankfully, it was just one and done for Yosef. Well, he's two years old, right? And I, I know I said thankfully. Like obviously, preferred he wouldn't have been murdered, but at least it was quick for him, right? Uh, he was killed by one heavy blow while he was sleeping uh, in his bassinet. It actually went, like, through the – what do you call the thing that, like, hangs over the bassinet? Like, the little cover part. You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about, but I don't know. It, like, went through it. that and hit him. And then, like, when they came back up, like, his – I'm not going to – Whatever that thing is called. Well, his, his – um, bodily oh. things were <laughs> I don't want to be like super graphic about a two-year-old uh, but it was like in that like hooded part of the bassinet so he was like gotcha. hit through that I just I don't know what those are called but um so yeah one in one heavy blow to his face while he was sleeping um both Maria and Yosef had also been covered up so remember the family in the barn is covered with hay mm-hmm. and then Maria had been covered up with a blanket she was found on the floor of her room, by the way. And Yosef, he had hung one of Victoria's dresses, like, over the bassinet and over that, like, hooded thing that I can't think of the name of mm-hmm. to, like, cover it up. Now, the heads of all the victims were removed and were sent um, to Munich for further testing. And I, I don't know how this can even get sadder, but their heads were lost, how do you lose five <laughs> heads? Right. Their heads were lost. Um, isn't it six heads? Yeah, six heads. Oh, sorry, six. Uh, <laughs> I was like, wait, I have to count. Hold on a second. <laughs> um, so, yeah, their heads were later lost. And 
And then during World War II, where the heads had been, like, allegedly kept, mm-hmm. was bombed. So <laughs> completely destroyed. Um, so the family was buried without their heads, which is a bummer, mm-hmm. to say the least. unearthed at some point. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know if, the, if they were in the place and just, like, mislabeled or something and it got bombed. I'm going to go with their, their dust now. Yes. Sadly. <laughs> well, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is just wonderful. <laughs> it's a great story. It is. Yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> now, initially, the police suspected robbery as the motive um, because the, they did have money. The family did have money. Uh, so they questioned, like, traveling craftsmen, vagrants, several residents in the surrounding villages. But after they found a large amount of money in the house, they pretty much abandoned this theory. Right. Because they didn't take anything. Um, <laughs> it's kind of hard. I think it was a robbery. It's weird, though. Nothing's missing. <laughs> Let me just leave this money here. So. I think maybe you should get a different job. <laughs> <laughs> Officer. <laughs> um, maybe this wasn't you're supposed to be your day. Yeah, I think maybe something else for you. Um, it was clear that the murderer had remained on the farm for several days after the murder. Someone had been feeding the cattle. They had eaten the entire supply of bread that the family had. And they could tell that meat had recently been cut from an animal carcass that was in the pantry. They just had a So they're hanging out and yeah, just eating the bread and the meat, feeding the animals. I was wondering about the animals because I'm like, nobody's feeding them, so what? Well, remember the dog was in the barn and then the dog was outside, tied up. up. Like, yeah, they didn't just like run free, pooch, don't come back. Just yeah, the, taking care of them. It's, again, mind bobbling. <laughs> That's my new thing. <laughs> mind bobbling schlotzblog. <laughs> What'd you call him? Schlotzblog? <laughs> Schlittenbauer. Schlittenbauer. There we go. I knew it was a sh. It was a sh. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Don't hate me, German people. I love you. <laughs> hey, I'm German. From like a while ago. I'm actually. I mean, so like- am I. I have some Scottish too. I didn't know about so that. So do I. I'm like I'm literally 49% Ukrainian though. <laughs> I uh, I just got my um ancestry or whatever thingy mm-hmm. and um turns out I'm like 32% Scottish. I'm like and like itty bitty bit German. I'm like my life has been a lie. <laughs> well, I know that my great grandmother uh came to the US from Scotland. Uh so I did, I did know that and I know like half my mom's family is German. So. But yeah, my, my both sides of my dad's family are from Ukraine. So my you look at my ancestry, it's literally no joke, forty nine percent Ukraine. <laughs> I'm not even joking about that. It literally says that. You can't deny that. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> uh, anywho's so <laughs> um, right. Uh, so someone had been taking care of the farm. Now it's believed that the murders were committed by someone who knew their way around the farm. As they, again, continued the upkeep, feeding the animals, everything, knew where all the food was. Uh, It also seemed like the killer maybe had a personal vendetta against the family based on how brutal it was. Well, yeah, that's obvious. Granted, I don't think you would have a vendetta that bad against a seven-year-old to do what you did to her. but Or a two-year-old. Or a two-year-old. At least that one was just one, though. I mean, Uh, but... My only thing with that is, thankfully, I think, I hope, Yosef had no idea. He was just asleep. And then he was just still asleep forever and never the <laughs> just wiser. Never woke up. Just never that. Yeah. Hopefully 
never the wiser for that one. <laughs> I, I pray for that as well, yeah. just because, you know, he didn't deserve it. No. I mean, if the killer was going to kill everybody, he could have literally just left the two-year-old to die by himself. So I guess you could call it a disservice. No, I think he would have survived. How is he going to survive? He's two. Well, I mean, he's not immobile. <laughs> well, I know that, but what's he going to do? He can't really reach doorknobs or anything to open doors and... Mm. I bet he could. But, you know, people were chilling in the house. So I, guess I believe in you. Any... <laughs> I guess they didn't want any. Uh... I mean, maybe um, Yosef would have been able to recognize him. Yeah, the two-year-old. Yeah. Because, you know, they believe in. You could still be like. You did it. <laughs> I'm making axing sound. Or sounds. <laughs> making <laughs> axing motions. motions. <laughs> I'd pointed it's and then you- I did the axe. <laughs> Anywho, All right. Um... <laughs> Back to it. So, worth noting, uh, before the police arrived and blocked off the crime scene, because it's the early 1900s, onlookers and curious neighbors were able to enter the crime scene at will and just kind of walk around, check things out. Oh, this is a crime scene. Let's go check it out. Exactly. Take some souvenirs. You know, put your fingerprints all over it. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Now, the property was left – here it is. It was left to Victoria's brother-in-law, and he had the building demolished the following year. Now, no one was ever convicted of these crimes, and the files were officially, I guess officially, closed in 1955. 30 years open? Yep. Let's talk about some theories and suspects. Now, many, I don't know why I did that. (laughs) Many suspects were named that I'm not going to even get into, because the idea behind naming them as suspects was that they were allegedly interested in robbing the family. But nothing was nothing stolen. Nothing was stolen, so it doesn't make sense. Right. So I'm not going to get into that. But it was – there were many names that were named because they had allegedly expressed interest in robbing the family at some point. But they weren't robbed, so I'm not going to talk about it. Okay. So, hmm. <laughs> So there. So suspect number one is Carl Gabriel. Do you remember that name? Mm-hmm. Who is that? That's his, her wife, or the husband. Yes. <laughs> we got there. So that, yes, that was Victoria's husband and the younger Cazelia's father. Now, remember, he had reportedly been killed in France in December of 1914, but his body was never recovered. So they think the ghost of Carl? <laughs> no. Some people began to speculate that maybe he didn't die after all. And that instead, he returned home and discovered his wife had had an, a child with another man. Okay. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, however, it's been, what, eight years at this point? Like, it, I, like, I know, like, POWs and whatnot are a thing, but, like, eight years to get home from France? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't... I mean, they're in Germany, so it's not that far. It's, right. It's not <laughs> that far. But, like, I, I'm not buying it. Uh, also... Uh, just a little fun fact. Uh, many of Carl's fellow soldiers attested to actually seeing his dead body. So, Carl out. So, yeah. Suspect number two. It's an interesting one. I can see why it was floated by these people. I do not buy it, but it is interesting. Okay. It's a man named Paul Mueller. Now, there is a book, which I have, and I'm in the middle of reading. It's called The Man from the Train. It's by author Bill James and his daughter. I think her name's Rachel. Uh, So Bill James and his daughter, they allege that there is a man named 
who they think it's this man, Paul Mueller, who may be responsible for not only the Hinterkaifeck murders in 1922, but a just insanely long series of kind of similar crimes in the U.S. Going from Germany to the U.S.? No, other way around. So, oh, U.S. first, then right. Germany. Now, he was apparently the only suspect in a in an 1897 murder of a Massachusetts family. And the Jameses, father and daughter, they suspect that he's responsible for dozens of other family killings across America. Okay. Just a serial killer or do they have like, – A serial killer. A, just I guess just – I mean, I'm sure there's a reason somewhere in the brain, but <laughs> not one that necessarily makes sense. But no personal, like, vendettas against these people? No. Just- they're just, just you're they're way. just families, yeah. Now James believes that Mueller, who reportedly was a German immigrant, and I mean his name is Mueller, so it's not that far fetched, right. uh, returned to Germany after the gruesome murders of all these families across the U.S. were being publicized. Okay, and the patterns of the American family killings that this man Paul Mueller of being involved in. So the patterns <laughs> include. <laughs> One, killing an entire family that lives in an isolated home. Two, using the blunt edge of a farm tool, like an axe, as a weapon. And three, the apparent absence of robbery as a motive. There's also actually four where they all have a young girl in the family, mm-hmm. like as a member of the family, like prepubescent to early teen range girls. Okay. That's another part of the pattern. Okay. One of the murders that that the authors actually suspect Mueller of committing is actually the infamous Velisca axe murders in Iowa in 1912, mm-hmm. which will be covered in a later episode. But I, reading this book, The Man from the Train, I want to add some things that they talk about concerning Velisca to mm-hmm. what I talk about. So that's going to be your episode. But I do want to talk about it. Um, so that's the second suspect. Now, I don't... I can see the connection between all these U.S. crimes, but it just feels like – and then he uh, went to uh, Germany and, yeah. Did like, they, it was – like, there, there was no, like, connecting fiber that gets him over to Germany. It was just like, I guess maybe he just went to Germany and did it. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like is, They talk about him going back to Germany, but – do they say when? Like, was Mm-mm. he even... No, we don't even know if that happened. Right. It was just like... And and honestly, in the book, The Man from the Train, I, I won't even call it a chapter on Hinterkaifeck. It's literally like a paragraph. And it's basically just saying, thing happened in Germany in 1922, kind of fits the bill. <laughs> That's basically what it says. <laughs> and the book, it's very good, and it's very detailed and in-depth, but that, I don't... I think it's kind of a... I, you know what? I take it back. I don't think it's kind of a stretch. I think it's a stretch to be like, and then, um, yeah, so he went to Germany. I guess he was German because his name's Mueller. Mm-hmm. He probably just went to Germany and did this there, too. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I don't yeah, really buy that. It sounds a little like grasping for stress. A little bit. A little far-fetched. Yes. But the book is good. And it really goes into depth, goes in depth in all of those U.S. like family murders where it's like parents and kids. Mm-hmm. That are all murdered in, like, the middle of the night with an axe. Um, very interesting. But I don't think it has any connection with this. I just think it's the 1920s and people have axes. <laughs> I mean, especially on a farm. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's a it's a weapon. <laughs> um, and that brings us to suspect number three, 
Lorenz Schlittenbauer. (laughs) Now, as previously stated, Schlittenbauer had a somewhat brief relationship with Victoria that ended after her father interfered in their plans to marry. Now, Lorenz did not truly believe Yosef was his son, but publicly took responsibility for him. Now, the main theory is that the very recent death of his newborn child with his new wife, along with being angry about having to pay child support for this child that he did not believe was his, kind of led him to murder the family. So he has a new wife. They had a baby. Baby died. Right before this happened, like days before. Okay. So the idea is that, like, that kind of drove him to it. Plus, he's angry that his baby died and this other baby that I know is not my baby, but I'm having to pay for it and take responsibility for it. Mm. And I'm pissed off. That's that's the idea behind why he t- would have done it. I don't believe old Lorenz was innocent. Um, so <laughs> he's a little too shady after. The- it was weird to be like, um, you need to go check on them. Oh, you didn't see anything? We need to go check on them. Like, that was a and little that, And let's take me. all these adults yeah. with me when I go because, you know, we need, you know, other people. I to can't justify. go alone to, exactly. just in case. I mean. Right. Because I think <laughs> right. that show that I was there when we found this horrific scene. Exactly. Not just that, stumbled know, upon it. I just sent my two kids. I was to, just worried. What, what was he going to do if the kids found these dead people? And he's going to be like, woo! I wasn't there. I don't know. Uh, what yeah. do to this? What was he? Nine and sixteen. Nine and sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> These little kids going to find. It was a pretty horrific scene. Good like, job, Daddy. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when he and the two other neighbors had to break the gate to enter the barn because it was locked, remember? Yet somehow Schlittenbauer went to the house and he was able to open the locked door with a key. Why did he have a key? Exactly. So when questioned about the events that day, Jacob Siegel, he recalled hearing him unlock the door with the key, like heard that distinct, noise. that very distinctive key unlocking door noise. So that's why he says that he must have had a key. Now, a key was reported to have gone missing a few days before the murder. So there is not. Mm-hmm. Um, he also allegedly acted suspiciously nonchalant when he found the bodies. Both with, like, viewing them and handling them with no problem. Yes, I said handling. Because he, mov- he moved both Andreas's body. Like, it was face down. And there's – you can see in pictures he's face up. He rolled him off. Like, rolled him over. And he moved the younger Kazelia's body off the, like, pile. Because remember, they were kind of, like, piled on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Claimed, he claimed that he was doing it looking for Yosef. Looking for his son. That he didn't claim. That he did not believe what he claimed him, but he didn't believe him. Believe it was his. Now, he knew. First of all. Sorry. No, it's okay. First of all, when you go to a crime scene, don't touch stuff. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, because, like, obviously you're like, well, of course my, uh," obviously they didn't know about DNA then. But, like, of course my DNA is on the bodies. I moved them. Yeah. (laughs) And my poor little baby is going to be on the bottom of this pile under all these adults. That's what he, that's what he said. He said. That he was looking for Yosef. Full of crap. Right. So he knew his way around the farm, obviously. He had been seeing Victoria before. Mm -hmm. And he also knew details that you wouldn't necessarily know, such as how a particular doorknob worked. There is a story in the research about, like, 
particular door doorknob, you had to like move it up instead of down or something like that. And so when someone tried to go in, they moved it down and he was like, no, no, you have to do it this way. So he knew details like that about the farm. Mm -hmm. um, he also went straight to Yosef and Maria where they were killed as if he knew where to find them. Like he went straight, do, 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 do. This is Maria's room. There she is dead. Why wouldn't you look around the living room and the kitchen and right, all that like other stuff straight when you to, go into the, into right, the house? Straight to Victoria's room. Oh, there's Yosef. Yeah. Like he just went immediately to them. Now, when asked why he went into the house when there could still be a murderer inside, Schlittenbauer claimed that it was again to look for his son. Now, Michael Plokel, the one who had passed by both morning and evening uh, the day after the murders, he believed that the foul smell reported from the fireplace could have been Lorenz Schlittenbauer burning his bloodstained clothing. Because remember, he had that – it was like a foul smell. Mm -hmm. um, Schlittenbauer remained a suspect for many years. But again, nothing ever came of it. Because he did it. Yeah. That's, I mean, he is the prime suspect in my opinion. <laughs> um, uh, but he did win several civil suits – for slander against people who called him the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. <laughs> yeah. Now, in 2007, the, and forgive me for this, because my German is pretty rudimentary, the Furstenfeldbruck, I did it, <laughs> police academy in Munich took on the Hinterkaifeck cold case as their final thesis. They were unable, obviously, to conclusively identify the murderer, thanks to the extremely basic forensic te techniques of the time, as well as missing evidence and, you know, like their heads and stuff. And, of course, dead suspects. They did, however, all agree on a theory that they chose to keep secret out of respect for surviving family members of people related to the crime. And, you know, the fact that the house was demolished the next right. year didn't help with, you know. Right. So... I had a copy of this, and this is obviously before my computer crashed and I had to do a complete factory reset and lost everything I had. Um, but I had, like I like I said, my German is not good enough to read something like that. Uh, so I was like, I gave it to my dad and was like, hey, can you just read this and tell me who they think did it? <laughs> Give me the synopsis. But it's like a couple hundred pages, and I don't think he did. <laughs> um, but I couldn't, like, I was even trying to, like, translate it, and it was in, like, a format that I couldn't translate. I wouldn't do it, but yeah. So that's the story of the Hinterkaifeck axe murders. So what do you think happened <laughs> that fateful night at Hinterkaifeck Farm? Lorenzo. Lorenzo. Lorenz. <laughs> Lorenz. He's not, he's not Spanish. <laughs> Lorenz Schlittenbauer. Yeah, him. He did it. What's your theory, though? He's an idiot. Oh. <laughs> My theory is that I agree. Case closed. He, exactly. <laughs> you know, he, you know, knew his way around the farm. He mm -hmm. was bitter about his child with his new wife dying and the fact that he didn't want to accept that the other kid was his. And that, you know, he was pretty shady around everything, you know, getting witnesses to go over there with him so he could prove that, you know, this was, you know, his first time seeing this. And the fact that, you know, he moved the bodies and yeah, very touched suspicious. all this other stuff. And Did you say all the stuff? <laughs> and the fact that, you know, he can't even have emotions when he sees these dead people, especially his dead son, that, you know, this is what his 
whole philosophy of going into the barn and into the house and trying to look for his kid mm-hmm. when, you know, he finds his dead baby in his bassinet and doesn't even show any emotion. Super nonchalant. Not even that, but like, even the seven year old wasn't your kid, but she's still a child. Like, she's right. seven. Like, exactly. And you know, you've known her her whole life because exactly. you've known the family longer than that girl's been alive like she's still a seven-year-old who you just found murdered like Mm -hmm. you can have a feeling about that right definitely (laughs) you can have a lot of feelings right if i walk into a murder scene i'm gonna be like oh my god even if i hate you know andreas gruber and absolutely hate his guts i'm still gonna be like holy shit i'm not gonna be like i'm just gonna flip this guy over and uh, you know there's my baby on the bottom of the pile of people yeah i don't know it's just (laughs) weird because i don't believe that i don't I can buy if you are looking for your baby, you're going to look under the pile of people. But I don't buy that he was looking for him. I don't either. I believe he was just trying to mess things up. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, now that we've condemned that man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that's, case closed. that's the story. <laughs> get that cold close. Get that cold case out of there. It's, it's done. It's, it's solved. Figured it out. This is... This is Macabre Storytime, where we come to close cold cases. (laughs) Alrighty, that is the story, the horrifying story of uh, the Hinterkaifeck murders. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Macabre Storytime. To stay in the know on all things macabre, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Macabre Storytime. Or you can email us at macabrestorytime at gmail.com. Once again. Thanks for listening, and until next time, maybe just go straight to the police with your concerns about your missing neighbors. Don't just traipse around the house.